Stories. We've been listening to stories all summer long from church members. Sometimes people ask us, leading up to the summer, are we gonna do the thing again? Where church members tell their stories? I can't wait. And then sometimes people say, are we gonna do the thing again where church members tell their stories? Because that's just not my favorite part. Can you believe? Yeah. We, oh, we hear it all, church. We're pretty committed that we tell stories. Why, what is it we've been doing since 2016? We chose to do this with our summertime that we would invite one of you to come and say something that only you could say. We began with Dr. Elvin Rodriguez. We were so excited. Everyone said yes the first summer. Everyone said yes the second summer. Everyone said yes the first ask. Isn't that beautiful? We asked Elvin, could you please come and share your, a story with us? And we were sure he would talk about music. We knew he would talk about music. We were excited for him to talk about music, a liberal arts college and music and why it's so important. And Elvin called me and said, I'm gonna talk about coming from Cuba. Beautiful, beautiful. That has been what the four summers have really been about. The pastor's trying to sit back, whatever stories emerge from all of you is the story we wanna hear. We've made a covenant to try and not to correct any stories or make them more scriptural or try and find big God points out of it. Just let the stories be. So this summer, we began with our uh, young 21-year-old Anthony Leone accepted to seven, seven opera programs. I mean eight, who's counting, I think is what he said. <laughs> And we learned that even with all of that talent, people with that kind of extraordinary talent still ask God, God, I need discernment in, your, in my life. Stopping, starting from the top left over, then we listened to our friend and theologian, John Webster, who reflected on his time from his home country, growing up in South Africa, being trained as a theologian, living through the time apartheid came to an end and he was able to use his voice as a Christian, as a theologian, as a Seventh-day Adventist to craft a document, reconciliation in his country. We had these uh, four little young theologians, Josh, Lily, Kiri, Cooper, who one day stood, one Sabbath stood here and answered questions and we learned that everybody's working on God even if you're seven or eight years old. We had what we called the long view. On the left here, the pictures of Wally and Beth and Cheryl and Paul Mallory asking people who've lived in La Sierra for some decades now, what is it about this La Sierra community? And maybe it's summarized in what Cheryl said, you can go a lot of places, but when you come here, you're home. This is home, Cheryl said. In the center of the graph is our new principal from La Sierra Academy, Labette Munoz Beard. Labette, whose grandparents came to this country to get educated and promised one day they would return. They truly did migrate from Peru, immigrate from Peru to our country and raise their family. And this little girl on these streets in La Sierra who gets educated and comes home to be the principal of La Sierra Academy. Calvin Anakaya, when we asked Calvin if he would speak, he said, I don't know, Pastor Chris but I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to say yes. When their youngest son, when I think Eden was pregnant with their youngest son, it's 15 years ago, a little more now, is when Calvin was first diagnosed with cancer and Calvin shared very personal journey of what it means to have cancer in community. 
And then we came to uh, the Kwok family, Jennifer and David and little Jethro, who right now is getting ready for discharge from the hospital. Because since their time here and this last week, he's had a virus and infection, and for him that means going to the hospital and getting extra care. Jen and, and uh, Dave, David, who a baby born with chaos, literally a, a, a very severe breathing obstruction. I don't know how many people does it take to deliver a baby? Well, in their case, about 30, we learned. So grateful for the medical care. Last week, uh, our friend Friedbert, and also our, the dean of our divinity school, spoke what it was like to live in Germany in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s when the government, East German government, the Russians decided a wall belonged in their city over streets and houses, and one part of the city, the West, where he grew up, would think of themselves as the good side of town, and everyone on the other side of the wall was the bad side of town. Next week is our final BIOS presentation with Dr. Joy Fair. She's our new president at La Sierra University. She sits right about back here in the middle, right behind, well, right in front of you, Matt Calves, and just right about here in the middle, Joy and her husband, Cornelius Corny. You'll learn a thing next week about Joy. Um, sneak, want a little sneak preview? She's not in church today, so I can tell you. I'm gonna show you a picture. Isn't that great? I think that should be on the La Sierra University website as her professional shot. <laughs> oh, there are more like this. Next week, Joy, a Canadian, will speak to us. Why is it we do this? The, we tell these stories summer by summer by summer by summer. What is it we hope happens as we listen? The scripture is full of stories. You notice that God is not loving us in general, but God is loving us in particular. God is not in your life in general. God is in your life in particular, in particular spaces and ways and homes and relationships. So scripture is full of these stories too. Every story we hear, we ask, where is God? How is God in this story? In Mark 5, if you open a Bible, you can follow along loosely there. Mark 5, Jesus and his disciples get out of a boat on the other side. You could think of it as the East German side of the lake where all of the chaos is contained. Jesus and the disciples get out in the city, this uh, territory, the Gesserines. The moment they step on the ground, they're confronted and frightened with a man who lives in the cemetery. He's chained up in the tombs in the cemetery. It's not that he just roams there, he lives there, he sleeps there. They lock him up because the city is so afraid of this man. The demon-possessed man, he's out of control, so for their protection, they put him far away from everyone else. Night and day, he, uh, he is in the tombs, Mark chapter five, five, if you're reading in a Bible, night and day in the tombs and in the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of most high God? What are you doing with me? Swear to God, you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded, unclean spirit, come out of this man. Night and day, he howls at others and he harms himself, this man. Night and day, he's tortured. He bows in front of Jesus, I think, less as worship. No, this isn't about worship. He doesn't know Jesus yet. But listen, there's a hierarchy in the world, and maybe Jesus is a little higher than the demons. So he kneels. And then he says, but whatever you do, don't cast out the demons. Leave me alone. 
which is odd. Here's a person who can heal you and you say, please leave me alone because maybe sickness at least is familiar. Wellness is work. Being at peace is maybe more difficult than being possessed. Jesus, son of the most high, leave me alone. Jesus pauses and then he asks him this uh, most personal question that ever happens in the gospel stories. Jesus asks him, what is your name? Does anyone know his name? Do they call him by his name? What is your name? And he answers that his name is Legion because we are many. It's an unusual story. It challenges our sensibilities and unless some of us have Well, some of us do have experience working in mental health environments. Everything about this story is on the dark side. There's a demon, and he swallowed up the man. It's not just that the man is with the spirit. He's in it. He's colonized. His mind is colonized. He dwells there. What is your name? Legion is my name, verse 10. Legion is my name because we are many. Is it the man talking or the demons talking? And the answer is yes. And you see that the grammar in the story gets all confused, singular and plural. And are we dealing with one person or many demons in the man's mind? And the answer is yes. Legion is my name for we are many. He, they, don't want Jesus to change anything. He, they, don't want to leave because this is familiar territory. He, they, they live in Palestine, not of the 21st century, but of the first century, occupied all the same. He, they, live under Roman occupation, but listen, if you know at least what the rules are, then maybe you can survive. Jesus, leave us alone because at least this way we know if we play by the rules, maybe we'll survive. And this is when the pigs enter the story. (laughs) So there are pigs. And the demons ask Jesus, hey, could we go and be with the pigs now? If we just would go and colonize the pigs, we'll get out of the man's way. The demons go to the pigs. The pigs become crazy. The pigs charge to the end of the cliff and run over the end, and that's the end of the pigs. It's a strange story in the Bible. Most every artwork that features this story from Mark chapter five features the pigs prominently. It's a story about pigs. It never pays to be an unclean animal in a Jewish story. Hey, we have graveyards, and we have chains, and we have demons, and we have pigs, and we have legions. We wouldn't miss, they wouldn't miss. Legion is what you call a troop of Roman soldiers. No one that day could miss the irony and the layers of storytelling going on. You would have to listen with your ears and with your eyes and with your heart and take all of this in. Those who tended the pigs run to the city to tell the people what they've seen. All the people from the city come back to the countryside. When they come back to the countryside, Mark records this in verse 16. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there fully dressed and completely sane. They're filled with awe. And then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. Jesus, get out of here because you're disrupting things. You just killed all the pigs. And the pigs don't actually belong to us. We've rented the pigs. The pigs are our livelihood. We have to return them to their owner tonight. Jesus, leave. Because the last time someone came to this territory and disrupted things, they took our women and our children and they burned our homes. Jesus, go. This is when the man who had been with demons looks at Jesus and says, can I come with you? 
please don't leave me with these people. Let me out of here. And Jesus says the most bizarre thing in my mind, why, why? Someone will finally tell you what they want. Here's someone who can look right at Jesus and say, I would like this. I want to go with you. Can I get in your boat? And Jesus says, no, no. Verse 19, go home to your own people and tell them your story. Go home to your own people. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Go home to your own people. Tell them your own story. Because God needs one well person on the other side. God needs a dozen people who will stand up and tell their story. God needs people willing to say, this is who I am and this is what my journey has been. If you heard Dr. Nina last week, he said, I'm not really sure what I should tell you because I've never really gone through the valley of the shadow of death. I haven't been rescued or saved from a gang. I don't have a big scary story to tell you. And then he came up with a story of East West Germany as a little kid and a teenager growing up. Everybody has a story to tell, friends. All of us sitting here today have stories to tell. This is what we've been doing this summer, sharing these stories, sitting and paying attention. The story in the Gospel of Mark, you and I get to decide what did we hear and what do we think it means, and the story invites so much. In Christian tradition over the generations, often we say of this story in Mark 5, well, this is a story about evangelism. Jesus and the disciples come to the bad side of town, they cast out the demons, they leave a new community that has faith in God, and then they get in their boat and go to another place. Oftentimes we make this a story about evangelism. And the story has so much more that it would like to say. Say nothing to anyone is what Jesus usually says in the Gospel of Mark. I wanna note this this morning. Some of you who've lived a long time with your Bibles who are very familiar with these stories, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter one is the first demon possession story, and Jesus says to that demon, say nothing to anyone. Mark chapter five, when uh, Jesus does a healing of a leper in a room, or, I'm sorry, when he raises a, a 12-year-old girl, he says, say nothing to anyone of what happened in this room. In Mark chapter seven, when there's a healing of leprosy, keep it quiet. Mark chapter nine, when the disciples go up on the mountain with Jesus and they think they see Moses and Elijah on their way down, Jesus says, don't tell a soul what you saw. This happens frequently in Mark's storytelling. The scholars love to talk about this, the messianic secret. What is this secret that Jesus keeps saying to people, shh, don't tell, shh, don't tell. And when Jesus does that, the first thing people do is run and tell. People can't keep secrets, come on, we know that. But now we have a story with a demon-possessed man and Jesus says to the man, Go home to your people and tell them your story. Now we have a moment where Jesus says in Mark's gospel, go and say, I don't know why. Listen, for more than 100 years, scholars talk about these things. Why keep things secret? Why does this man get permission to tell? I don't know, and I, I don't have a desire to solve the messianic secret by lunchtime today. I would. I am interested to know. Will this man find people who will hear his story? When he goes to tell, 
Will he find people with ears and eyes and hearts open? Will he find people who can do more than hear, which is to discern a sound? But will he find people who can listen, who will give him thoughtful attention? That's what it is to listen. When I give you my thoughtful attention, it's not easy. Sometimes I'm moving around the world so quickly to stop and give you my thoughtful attention. This is real work. It's led more than one person to say, most of us are hard of listening rather than hard of hearing. Most of us are hard of listening. So is it a coincidence in the very next story in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter five, Jesus comes to a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and she's moving through the marketplace, spreading her contamination on everyone she touches and she looks to Jesus and touches Jesus and at a moment she says to him, Jesus, let me tell you my whole truth. Maybe she has someone who will listen. Let me tell you the whole truth. I can't work because I bleed. I can't go to the market because I bleed. I can't go to synagogue or service because I bleed. I can't marry because I can't conceive. I'll never have family and friends around me. Jesus, can I tell you my whole truth? It's interesting to me that back to back is a man who has a story to tell and a woman who's eager to tell her whole truth. When people need to speak, will they find those of us who can listen? Listening is hard work. Some of us today are working on our listening skills. Some of us do this very well, and some of us, we need help. If you're learning to listen better, here's a short list. These are very practical ways we learn to listen better. Stop talking, pay attention. It seems easy and redundant, but right? Stop, I have to stop if you're gonna talk. Help the speaker be at ease. Tell them it's okay, take their time. Watch for what is not being said. The body language, we're told that 50% of our storytelling and our communication comes with our body, not with our words. So watch for the body language. Listen to understand, not to oppose. Ignore the trigger words in somebody's story, they're not for you and me. If somebody wants to talk about war and abortion and things that trouble you, ignore the trigger words, they're not for us. Don't interrupt, hold our temper, empathize, which means to walk in the shoes of someone else. Really work hard to hear the story and put ourselves in the place of the person. This exactly what I've described is what Pastor Mandy will be doing in her training program and her chaplaincy education now, learning to listen to people really well, those who are in the hospital. And you can go to school for an entire year to learn how to do this. A favorite author of mine says, we swim in story like fish swim in water. Our stories are what we have. Even the man in Mark chapter five standing in the cemetery chained up, guess what? By the time Mark writes the story, probably buried in those tombs are a thousand more men who the emperor attacked and took women and children and burned the village and buried the people. In other words, the man with the demon stands on top of hundreds and thousands of stories. What we have, friends, are the lives we've lived, which is the story God's given us. It always surprises the pastors here, the stories you have to tell. A few years ago, 
We sat here in the front row, Pastor Stuart Tyner and I, and we were in a memorial service. I would tell you whose service, but I can't remember. I know it was one of our older ones, and it was a woman. And we began to hear the life sketch, and she was born here, and she went to school there, and this is the career she chose, and she had a family. She moved to this community at such and such a time, and buried in the story came this little moment where the family member said, and she was an acrobat. I, I swear I heard an acrobat in the circus. And Stuart and I, sitting on the front row, looked at each other and said, an acrobat? We have an acrobat in the church? How come we don't know we have an acrobat in the church? We've never heard this story. We start whispering on the front row. I mean, all we can see is the 80-year-old woman. We'd have no idea that once upon a time in her life, she trained to be an acrobat. What a story. Now, if I could only remember who she is. For two weeks, I've been asking people, when we, when we had the service for your mother, was your mother ever an acrobat? When we had your service for your mother, was your mother, I'm sorry if this seems like a strange question, I just need to know, anyone in your family an acrobat? I've asked 10 people, I've struck out. If you know who I'm talking about, second row, help me. Think about it, go to lunch and talk about it. We had an acrobat in our church. The stories you're telling are sacred. And the listening required on our part is sacred. This is what we've been doing this summer. And for four summers in a row, when I actively listen to you, I am bearing witness that your story matters and that your story is full of God. I don't have to go to the Bible and find a text in which to baptize your story. Your life is already beating with the rhythm of the divine. Every story we listen to, we find creatures shaped after the divine, with divine care, with the divine pulse. Every story we listen to is a divine story, friends. This is what we've been doing, bearing witness. When our youngest daughter was a little one, we stood in the grocery store one day. She was chattering away. I was moving groceries and saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. She puts both hands, one on either side of my face, and sharply turns my face towards hers. Squeezes my face. I'm like, did I squeeze you like this ever? She's squeezing my chin and sharply turning my face towards hers. I'm looking her in the eyes. She says, Mama, listen to me when I'm talking to you. She's not wrong. We are bearing witness, church, when we listen to one another's lives. So thank you, storytellers, from this summer. Every story you told reminds us that God is not loving us in general. God is loving us in particular. Every story you told reminds us that even if it's not a drug problem or a gang problem or maybe it's not cancer or a baby with chaos, every story you told reminds us that in the end, love is the anthem of every life here. Love will be the anthem in the end. And Lamont says, it seems like grace is playing pickup. Grace is always the last up to bat in every story. But you know what? Eventually, grace is up to bat. 
And love is sovereign. Love reigns. Amen.